0: Welcome to the Fort Vancouver Podcast, a program that provides a personal, behind-the-scenes look at Fort Vancouver National Historic Site, the Pacific Northwest's premier archaeological and historic site. I'm Greg Schein, the site's chief ranger and historian, and I'll be your host. Join me as we talk to staff, partners, and volunteers and explore what makes this dynamic urban national park relevant today. In the process, we hope to help you forge your own personal connection to this very special and significant place. Greetings from Fort Vancouver and welcome to the Fort Vancouver Podcast. Today our guests are Park Ranger Bill DeBerry and Park Guide Doug Halsey. These two gentlemen are the park's historic weapons Coordinators and they're responsible for organizing and putting on the variety of different historic weapons programs throughout the year. So, welcome, Bill and Deb. Thanks,
1: Thank Greg.
2: Yeah.
0: So, what uh, maybe you could tell us what, what is a historic weapons program?
1: Well, the, the programs that we do here are uh, blank firing of the types of weapons that uh, would have been used here at Fort Vancouver as the Hudson's Bay Company. And as well as the military so we've got several different types of weapons that were here historically that we demonstrate the the use of those weapons how they were uh, loaded and
0: fired during the historic period. Wow that sounds like a, a, a lot of different weapons what, what are some of the the different weapons that are, are fired off here?
2: Well we uh, speaking with the military since I do mostly in the 19th century uh, we have um, the uh, Model 1861 Springfield rifled musket, which was one of the main weapons uh, in uh, use during the Civil War, we also fire what's called the uh, uh, 4570 trapdoor Springfield, which was the first uh, military uh, metallic cartridge weapon uh, issued regularly to the United States Army, and we also fire uh, the Model uh, piece, uh, the Model 45 uh, Colt peacemaker revolver. And uh, as far as artillery, we actually have also a uh, replica of the uh, model 1843 uh, 12-pound mountain howitzer.
0: A howitzer, so is that like a cannon?
2: Very much like a cannon, uh, almost like a cross between a mortar and a cannon. Uh, it fired a a more of an arced trajectory of, rather than a cannon which had more of a flat trajectory and was used quite often with uh, sort of non-traditional groups like the infantry and cavalry uh, as support for them. Uh, most of the artillerymen uh, didn't use howitzers. Uh, it was too considered m- too small. Uh, it also put you in range of enemy artillery when you couldn't return fire. And then,
1: and then he, uh, here at the fort, at, at, at the Hudson's Bay Company fort, we, uh, we fire off what's termed 18th century uh, weapons, which is flintlock, whereas Doug's group uh, fires off cap locks, uh, the flintlock uh, muzzle loader uh, trade guns, and brown bass. And then we also have a three pound uh, cannon that we do demonstration firings on as well. Uh, so, so we've got
0: a nice blend of, of weaponry that we deal with. Now, now, do you actually fire at things or fire projectiles, or how does that work?
1: No, it's all blank firing. Uh, we we load um, like with the the artillery pieces. They both take a half pound of black powder, uh, loaded down and and tamped down, and then fired off. And so it's just a loud noise. It's you know nothing going downrange. Okay.
0: Now now both of you have been doing this for a number of years, right? Maybe we could each of you could take a moment and just talk about kind of how you got to to doing these uh historic weapons programs with the park service. Go
2: ahead. Uh, well I had started uh actually doing acts, uh, acting or uh uh was asked to be a demonstrator both here at Fort Vancouver and at um at Fort Clatsop at uh, at uh, Lewis and Clark National Historical Park. Um and um Got in as a got interested in it as a demonstrator, um, and then when the opportunity came up here, uh, when I was employed here at Vancouver, um, I got the opportunity to become one of the one of the safety officers. Uh, and so that's my my training is for the 19th century, as Bill mentioned, and he is the what the park calls the 18th century, which means the flintlocks rather than the percussion guns.
1: Yeah, and I started uh, when I came to work here uh in 1998 um as a as a demonstrator and then uh went to the uh national park service uh historic weapons supervisor training program and the first time that i went was in the year 2000 i think doug you went in what 2002 was mm-hmm. the first time that you went it's a it's a four year every four years uh Historic weapons supervisors have to go to these programs. Two week, to, uh,
2: two week training period. Yeah, yeah. two uh-huh. week
1: training period for to to get updated uh, on and certification on uh, on the weapons that we fire. Uh, without that training, we're not allowed to to have the programs on the park. Uh, so there is a
0: certification process that the Park Service has. Yeah,
1: yeah, and then and then we conduct training uh, locally for our volunteers and staff members who participate in these. Every year, and so uh, the the people who participate here have to
0: be recertified every year as well. Now, one of the things that visitors might not realize when they come and see one of these black powder programs, be it you know small arms or um, uh, perhaps the howitzer, is the work that is involved in preparation of that event and then after the event. It maybe could. uh, uh, maybe one of you walk us through the uh, uh, ordinance uh, uh, procedures, or how mm-hmm. do you, how do you get ready for one of these events and then how do you pull it off and then what do you have to do afterwards that the public doesn't necessarily see? And maybe mm-hmm. just starting with you know some of that research. I know that you guys certainly have to do a lot of research prior to uh, um, starting one of these programs.
1: Well, the research is is trying to find out. Um how the how the weapons were used as here at, at the Hudson's Bay Company fort the uh, the weapons were um, primarily the the small arms were primarily of for personal use uh, although all of the employees of the company uh, stationed here at the fort were were uh, assigned as militia to protect the company's uh, properties and and uh, and so they would have been uh, expected to, to come forth and, and, you know, be available as, as militia to defend the fort. Um, and so trying to find out how they were using the, the weapons that they had and the types of weapons that they had, um, and, and then from there, uh, actually developing the program, and then when you're ready to do the program, you have to... To uh, put together the ammunition, um, whether it's small arms or artillery, you have to to build the ammunition, and we do that in in our lab uh, where we actually make ammunition that will be used in the demonstration. Um, and So that has to be done beforehand. Uh, and then after the demonstration, then we have to do all of the cleaning of the weapons. Black powder is really nasty really stuff, really dirty, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it takes a lot of cleaning to yeah. to clean the weapons um, before
2: putting
0: them back into storage. How yeah, about for for some of the uh, uh, something like the Howitzer, would that uh, uh, compare?
2: Yeah, that's it is very much that that way. Um, we uh, we did a lot of research um into uh, we we did actually real you know found out that there were howers actually here stationed at at Fort Vancouver at various times and uh were deployed during the particularly various some of the various uh Indian campaigns that took place here in the Pacific Northwest uh the Modoc War and the and the Nez Perce campaign um and uh about uh was it 3 years ago we got the money to yeah, yeah. Of course, one of the things, you know, one of the big things is, is getting the money together to to actually purchase these the replica weapons. Um, Park Service stipulates that that you cannot use original weapons in its demonstrations to in order to protect the resources. Uh, uh-huh. Weapon original weapons are considered resources, and that goes against uh, National Park policy to 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 use resources which would be consumed, uh, and if you if you used. Uh, or abused original weapons, then they would obviously be be used up, they would be consumed, and, and then eventually wouldn't be able to, to be used anymore. So we use strictly uh, replica weapons. Um, and unfortunately, there are a number of companies that make those, and we can buy those replicas. But in the case of the howitzer, um, we, we were talking uh, several many thousands of dollars to get that. Uh, unfortunately, the Park Service came through with, with monies uh, several years ago, uh, and... Uh, many, quite a number of parks were able to upgrade or uh, begin brand new interpretive programs. But, um, yeah, the research was, fun. was, was uh, interesting, and uh, the, uh, the, the lab that Mel mentioned, uh, it is, you know, we have to be very careful. Um, the Park Service has a, uh, an outstanding safety record uh, in its historic weapons program, and it's uh, actually used as a model for many other programs and a lot of other agencies who, that do historic weapons, state parks and, and others um, often send their people to the NPS training program because it's it's thought so highly of.
0: Now, uh, when, when visitors uh, come out to one of these black powder programs, and in just a, a minute we'll let visitors know how they can learn more about these programs and uh, when they will be occurring, but when, it, when a visitor comes out uh, to the program, it's not... You, they don't just show up and you fire off the guns and they walk away i mean it's part of a it's part of an actual interpretive program that ties to some of the the themes at the site how, how do you how do you kind of build those black powder programs into this uh into the broader story of the site
1: well that's that's one of the things of the research that that we do and and the development and and it, what i always say and i i tell the people who participate that the, the black powder program itself should be able to stand alone without actually shooting the weapon. Uh, that the, the shooting of the weapon is the the icing on top of the cake. And so you have to come up with uh, with an overall theme of what uh, what the program uh, is all about, which is usually like a just a one sentence statement of what the program is about. And then you come up with uh, with your goals and your objectives as to as to what points you want the audience to walk away with, and then how you're going to to make those points, um, and and that's all part of developing an interpretive program, uh, and then and then in, you just incorporate in the 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 historic weapon itself as 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 I said, just the icing on the cake, as it were.
2: Yeah, and you try to you try to find a, a local angle, you know, some perhaps some. Uh, a diary entry or or an official report that, that mentions you know that particular weapon that you're that you're uh, demonstrating that day that, that I think helps give people you know yes you know there were soldiers or whoever that left here that were carrying these weapons and it was used in this particular time uh, was deployed at this particular time um, and I think that helps people kind of visualize um, what what you know what the life was like here in, in during the military era or or the Hudson Bay era. Uh, if you can get a, a a bit of a local flavor for uh, for that particular program.
0: Now, now, Doug, the the Howitzer program is is even more unique than some of the the uh, cannon firings that maybe folks have seen at other parks or at the Civil War parks, isn't it? Uh, as, as I've seen the program, it actually starts, or, or at some point, it's it's disassembled.
2: Right. you so, right. want to talk a little bit about that's,
0: seeing this heap of uh, of wheels and wood and brass, or, or uh, in the barrel and how that's, it all That is fits very much in. the
2: case. Yeah. Part of the program for the howitzer that we normally do is is we actually disassemble the the piece. Um, one of the the um, uh, the advantages of the howitzer is that relatively speaking of artillery it's, it is very lightweight. The entire piece together weighs somewhere in the neighborhood of 700 pounds um, and could be broken into essentially three different loads and carried on on horse or mule back easily. Uh, and, and that was one of the reasons that as I mentioned the cavalry in and the and the, arti- or the cavalry and the uh, infantry units um, often used it as close support is because it could be transported so easily and so quickly. Uh, and very quickly put put reassembled and put into action within minutes um, whereas you didn't have to have uh, a regular six or 12 pounder you didn't have to have a limber and, and uh, horses and pulling everything and and uh, lots of heavy equipment with it very lightweight very easy to move very quickly moved um, and part of the program is we dis- we do disassemble uh, the, the the tube the carriage and the two wheels and then Quickly put it back together again, and uh, you can see that It takes just a matter of a minute or two before it's ready to go back into action.
0: Yeah, it, mm-hmm. we should probably clarify too mm-hmm. that it's not uh, not just you and Bill that are doing all this work, but, <laughs> but isn't it both both programs? No, we try
2: trying to avoid that as much as possible. <laughs> <well. laughs>
0: but but they they involve other people as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Are are these uh, volunteers? Are there staff or a mix or?
2: Yeah, we do have a mix of, uh, of staff and volunteers. Um, fortunately we have a, a very active, um, Civil War reenacting group that, uh, portrays, uh, the, uh, soldiers that were stationed, uh, garrisoned at Vancouver Barracks, uh, during the Civil War, the First Oregon Volunteer Infantry. And, uh, they are, they love to come out and, and, uh, and play soldier. And, uh, so they've been very active in our, in almost all our programs. And, uh, also of course our, our seasonal staff um, also is uh, part of their their normal seasonal training is, is a black is black powder programs. and
1: the, uh, the artillery I mean we're mandated by by National Park Service regulation is to have a certain number of people to safely fire uh, both types of artillery the, the military type or the the type the earlier type that that we fire at the Hudson's Bay Company and that uh, the the three pounder that we fire for the Hudson's Bay Company takes a minimum of of six people on the gun plus an interpreter, uh, and for the uh, for the mountain howitzer it's four, four. people plus an interpreter uh, to safely fire the gun. That's that's the regulation, and so we we follow the regulation of the National Park Service uh, Historic
0: Weapons Program. Now uh, visitors coming to one of the programs, there might be some some uh, phrases that they've heard before, things like hang fire and things like that. Can could, uh, could you tell us, what what is a hang fire?
1: A hang fire is, is primarily uh, well, it's more often found in a flint lock, uh, but it still can be found in the cap locks as well. And the hang fire would be uh, a weapon that, that you pull the trigger and the mechanism for firing the weapon ignites but it does not immediately ignite the main charge and then just a second or two down the down the time, then the main charge goes off and that would be called a hang fire. Uh, you also have what's called a flash in the pan, which is again a, 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 a flintlock type of uh, situation where there, uh, the pan powder, the powder that is supposed to ignite the main charge, ignites, it flashes, but it does not set off the main charge. Um, and then what's there's another one, uh, another saying. Uh, flashing a like pan. Have,
2: uh, lock stock and barrel. Um, of course it comes from weaponry yeah, as well. The other one yeah.
0: Is. yeah, but there are so yeah. so visitors may, you know, even if the whole procedure or process is foreign to them, there may be a few things they've they that they may heard, have heard before, yeah, have heard of, yeah. You know, just uh, colloquialisms and
1: yeah. things that people say. Yeah.
0: Now now every time that that uh you know the the command fire or, or whatever the command is used depending on the uh, depending on the activity it doesn't always go as, as quite as planned, does it? It's not they're not guaranteed like like perhaps modern ordnance that you know you pull the trigger and it's almost guaranteed to go off. What what are some of the challenges that that you get sometimes in these uh, uh, in these black powder programs? Well, the misfires
1: that that you get particularly with artillery when you're expecting a big boom, I mean a half pound of Black powder going off and and nothing happens. It goes, <laughs> or something like that, and and so you're kind of standing around. Well, there's a procedure when you have a misfire, and and uh, we follow those procedures to to take care of the misfire safely. Um, but those are those are kind of uh,
2: embarrassing moments. And but we they're need, also learning experiences and they're too, learning so, experiences.
1: Yeah. But we had um, what was it last. Memorial two years ago Day. on Memorial Day, we yeah. had
2: a, a miss, we had a misfire, and that's yeah. I think of all the think programs we've had, that was certainly my most embarrassing. <laughs> we had we had television coverage, we had you know a, an audience of well over two hundred people there, and uh, we pulled the lanyard on the howitzer, and nothing happened. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a learning experience. You you do try to you you kind of analyze it, figure out what probably went wrong you know uh, in that case we think the the uh, the charge was not rammed properly and so it, it didn't reach the the end of the barrel uh to be ignited by the by the primer but um it, it you know you just have to kind of swallow your embarrassment and uh you know say well sorry folks it's you know the program is not going to go today and
0: it was fun having you. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that would also, that probably would have happened historically. Oh, yeah. It, is. As well, it right? is. So in yeah. a
2: way, it's... It... And in fact, the, the procedures we follow in the Park Service are many, many times more uh, strict in their safety aspects than than the military traditionally did, mm. uh, particularly in combat situations where you're, you know, you're firing as fast as you can and, and, and being fired at. <laughs> um, we wait, we are required to wait in, in, the, in, in artillery, we are required to wait 10 minutes between firings to make sure that any embers uh, that might be in the in the, uh, breed, in the barrel uh, are, are completely gone um, by the time you load uh, the next round. So um, there are you know dozens and dozens of counts of premature firings and people being killed and maimed and all kinds of things if you read the literature. Uh, Which the NPS training program is is loves to present to you uh, as dire dire warnings against not following their procedures. So, so we're all you know we're very very conscious and um, all of that. All the park sites run very very safe programs.
1: And and Mm -hmm. it should be noted also that the that the the drills that we do and that's what they're called. They're called drills. Whether it's small arms or. Or artillery, we do a specific drill for a specific type of weapon, and those drills are based on the military, the mm-hmm. historic military drills that that of the time mm-hmm. period. Uh, and so, you know, the the drill that we do, it's not exactly like uh, the the military drill in some gates. I mean, in the like the howitzer, mm-hmm. it is, um, but like in yeah in the uh, The three-pounder that we have down here, of course, this was not military, the Hudson's Bay Company, uh, but we're still following a military style of drill um, that is based on the Revolutionary War artillery
0: drill that the U.S. Army had. Now, doesn't the park service also have? A, isn't there a specific like size for a, a safety zone or something so the visitors aren't that they can come somewhat close enough to hear right. the program? But is it what's the term downrange? There's a, a yeah, there's a uh,
1: it's uh, the the artillery range is fifty yards wide and nobody's allowed. Uh, in front of the muzzle, and I mean not just standing in front of, but in a line that goes across the muzzle off to the sides, and nobody's allowed to go beyond that line. And we set up barricades or barriers, uh, ropes, and what have you, to to uh, to make sure that the audience stays within the safe zone. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but they're they're plenty close enough to to oh, observe yeah. serve the actions, and and certainly okay. to to. Uh, Hear the guns go off, yeah. Okay, and feel it. And feel it, right? Yeah, yeah. really. You can actually, yeah, you can you can actually, feel it. Particularly from the artillery, yeah, it's pretty, the pretty the concussion significant. Concussion
0: of it. Yeah. So, where here on site do these uh, do these programs take place?
1: Here at at the Hudson's Bay Company Fort, we actually do the programs inside the fort. Uh, we've got a three pound uh, cannon that that we set up in the courtyard, and we also do the small arms here. Uh, the military. Uh, is done up on the military parade ground, which is part of the the site here. It's the old historic parade ground for the U.S. Army, uh, and that's where we conduct the the military programs. And that's close to the bandstand that people may know on off. Yeah, right. right. right, stand, off. right, right. We yeah. usually
2: work kind of toward the the west end of the parade ground near the uh, the uh, traffic circle uh, between and uh, the confluence of uh, Evergreen and Fort Vancouver Way. Okay. Yeah.
0: Now, what, uh, uh, I know we're coming up on special events season here. Mm-hmm. What are some of the uh, black powder programs that are coming up, and w- where can people um, uh, learn more about these? Well, as far as the special
1: events, uh, the next big special event that we're going to have will be the uh, brigade encampment, which will be uh, associated with the Hudson's Bay Company here, and that will be in June. Uh, and they can look uh, to the web uh, to find out uh, the schedule of events. Uh, the website for the fort here is uh, wwnPS for National Park Service, .gov, forward slash fova and once you get to the Fort Vancouver website you can click on special events and and that will give you a calendar of the events that that you uh, that you could attend and um, if you're looking for not just special events, but just when we're going to be doing the, the Historic Weapons Program, which we do a program uh, every Saturday and Sunday during the, uh, during the summer months, uh, you can click on the website and then click on Plan Your Visit and then Things to Do. And from that page, you can go to the Historic Weapons Program.
0: All right. And, and visitors could also, uh, if they don't have access to the web, they could call the visitor center at, at 360-816-6230 as well, right, to find yeah, out a little sure. bit more about uh, those events and activities.
1: Right.
0: Well, I think one of the things that has really struck me is just the, the amount of time that, that goes into uh, these programs that the public sees what, what would you uh, you know counting the uh, research time the preparation time and the cleaning time afterwards what would you say yeah. would be a ratio <laughs> to like a half an hour program how much uh, uh, prep time would go into
2: one yeah most of our programs are about half an hour long and uh, the from the time that we begin getting ready for the program to the time we put you know the last pieces of equipment away it's probably close to two hours. Yeah. Each, each Friday and each Saturday and Sunday. And then that's uh, not
1: including the, the, yeah. the research time and stuff. And, that's just the daily prep time for when and
2: doing uh, a the, making the ammunition for the days that we do programs. Uh, that can take up to an hour. Hmm. Any other behind the scenes stuff? Do
0: you have any interesting uh, stories or anecdotes <laughs> that? Uh, uh, activities that kind of go on behind the scenes with uh, with black powder programs or planning them or
2: well the, you know despite the you know, the one I mentioned it was that Memorial Day program we did a couple two or three, two, three years ago where we had the the uh, a very embarrassing misfire uh, one of the more funniest things in retrospect kind of funny but probably not perhaps when it happened was that uh, to to uh, my first training session when I was at the uh, um, at at uh, being trained by the park service we were at a national guard base down in in florida and uh, it was these are done during the winter time because that's when most parks are not doing interpreter programs and people have a bit of time to be trained um it it was a very dry winter in florida and uh, we were on the range and we a uh, the revolutionary four people the the 18th century people uh were doing blank firing on the on the muskets and uh the wadding that they were firing actually caught part of the range on fire <laughs> uh, The grass was so dry there that just the the glowing pieces of paper that were being fired out of the uh out of the muskets um, caught, caught some of the grass on fire and we had to grab everybody's canteen and 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 uh fire extinguishers and and everything we could <laughs> find to put to help put the the grass small grass fire out so that was a little embarrassing too. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that's uh, that's the kind of thing that we have to be careful with when we do our programs here, because in the summertime here it gets it gets really dry uh, at times, and and so we have to be aware of of those kinds of things that that there is the potential out there for for not just a, a an accident with a with a black powder uh,
0: weapon, but you know a fire or uh, some other kind of injury or something like that. So. Well, thanks so much, uh, Doug and Bill. I appreciate you uh, taking the time out to, uh, uh, to tell us a little bit about the historic weapons programs and take us behind the scenes a little bit to, to learn about some of the preparation, uh, the process, and also the breadth of different programs and activities that, that are offered here at Fort Vancouver National Historic Site. Uh, is there anything, uh, any closing uh, points or anything you'd like to share with the I public just
1: want to invite people out i mean absolutely it's, it's absolutely. a lot of fun uh, people really enjoy yeah it. Uh, you, won't, you won't
2: go away disappointed yeah
1: <laughs> seeing the programs and mm. and and hearing the weapons go
0: off it's it's cool. uh it's really cool
1: excellent yeah. and those programs are
0: starting these summer months every saturday and sunday every and
1: saturday and sunday at 1 we'll... in the afternoon um and on on saturdays there, the,
2: generally not absolutely yeah. but generally the Saturday programs are military programs starting at one thirty up on the parade ground and generally the Sunday programs are the are Hudson you know, the, the fur trade era programs and those are down here at the Fort Site.
1: Yeah. Except for special event weekends mm-hmm. like yeah. Soldiers Bivouac, which is in July, uh, for the military. We will not be doing a historic weapons program. Uh, of the fur, fur trade, trade yeah. mm-hmm. that weekend because it's all concentrating on
0: the military aspect mm-hmm. all you know all weekend long. So Excellent. And if visitors do have questions, they can go to the park website as we described uh, a few minutes ago or call the park visitor center at 360-816-6230 and speak to uh, uh, one of the uh, staff members there. hmm Yep. Great. Well, hey, thanks so much, uh, Bill and Doug, again, for taking time out of your busy schedules to uh, talk with us and give us kind of the behind-the-scenes look at the historic weapons programs at Fort Vancouver National Historic Site. Yeah. Thanks a so lot, Greg. Thanks, Greg. Sure. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Fort Vancouver Podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed this behind-the-scenes journey and that we've been able to help connect your interests to the meanings inherent in the park's many resources. For more information on the park's programs and events, please visit our website at www.nps.gov forward slash or call our Visitor Information Desk at 360-816-6230 during regular business hours. Thanks for listening!